Hello, and welcome to a show of their own, Sports and Life with Morgan and Laura. I'm Morgan. And I'm Laura, and it is episode seven. We've been off for a little bit for various reasons. (laughs) Personal, computer, (laughs) all kinds of reasons, but we're back. And Morgan had something she wanted to say before we really got into today's episode, so Morgan, take it away. Yeah, so our podcast has always been created to obviously talk about sports, but also like we've had a lot of like discussions about like learning and understanding and all of that. And I wanted to talk about something we talked about two two episodes ago, I think now it's been, Mm -hmm. these weeks are crazy, but um, it was our inclusivity episode. And there, I've been thinking about it a lot this last week leading up to us recording this. And I realized I said in that episode a lot, African-American. And thinking about it, first of all, a lot of the times we, we were talking about Canadians, so um, it, it didn't fit that. But also in this whole like movement we're in, I've done a lot of learning and I, I realize that that's not an accurate term overall. Um, I don't know if at like some point I had implicitly or explicitly, I don't know if it was maybe something with like education of like, African-American is a better term to use or a more polite term. And I was thinking about this last night too, as I was writing down what I wanted to say, and it almost feels like it was kind of created in the same way of like white people are quote unquote superior. And by saying African-American, it kind of labels them as an other. And I didn't really realize that that wasn't a good description or accurate description or anything. Um, and I, I want to say it was the video um, Emmanuel Acho does, which is an amazing series, um, Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. And I believe it's his first episode. That he talked about like African-American isn't better than saying black because it's one, not accurate. Not every black person is from Africa. Um, again, it kind of creates the other because I don't I'm white I say I'm white I don't say I'm European American because my generations ago I had family living in Europe um and it's just something I wanted to address nobody called me out on it but it was something I felt I needed to call myself out on because I think it's important that we recognize when we've made a mistake and call ourselves out on it even if it makes especially if it makes you uncomfortable um, and I just wanted to say that because he, I, and I want to say it was from that video. It, I could have been another video I watched, but I really think it was Emmanuel Acho's video. Cause he was also like, there's also that connotation of like when white people would go to Africa and take people away, bring them here and make them slaves. So like there's that connotation and you don't want, and not everyone feels okay with that description. So I just wanted to correct myself since we can't go back in that episode and, edit every time I say African-American and change it to black, but it's something I wanted to make sure that I addressed, that I recognized I said that, and I will correct myself in the future. And I think something really important, I guess, from my perspective, having being 25% Japanese, it is a Mm -hmm. thing where you hear people say Asian-American a lot. Yes. It has a very specific meaning of Mm -hmm. my grandmother was Asian-American or Japanese-American because she was born and raised in Japan, right. married my grandfather over there, and then immigrated here. 
And so that makes sense to me to call her Japanese American. But my dad isn't Japanese American because he was born in the U.S. And I'm certainly not. Um, And so I think it is the thing of like, it should be used in a very specific connotation. Exactly. When it's like, like you said, accurate. And so I think that's a very good, it's a very subtle point, but I think it's important Mm -hmm. that we talk about these subtleties because it all creates the bigger picture. Yeah. And because I... I even remember recording that and I remember saying at one point I did say African-American and you even correct me saying Canadian. I was like, yeah, duh, we're talking about mostly Canadians because we're talking about hockey. And then after watching other videos, I'm like, I just shouldn't have been saying African. Like, it's okay to say black athletes, black people, because like I referred to myself as white. So why wouldn't you say black? But I, I, there's just something in me that wonders if maybe throughout like educational stuff, like I just was taught that I really think it is because I remember in school it was a thing yeah like, like you can't say black people you have to say african-american yeah and I think at, the, at a time it was considered the more politically correct mm-hmm. but then I think what happened is it was kind of like white people saying it was more politically correct right when you hear black people talk about it it's like oh no black is like the right thing to say yeah so I thought that was a good topic so we kind of have a little bit of a grab bag of topics. Yes. It's a lot about just basically how COVID is impacting sports is kind of how I would title the theme. And the first thing we wanted to talk about, it kind of made a lot of waves in not just hockey sphere, but all over Twitter, sports landscape and everything. How the heck is the team that has the first overall pick a team to be named later? How did that happen? And so I thought I would explain it, how it happened. And also, before I even explain that, in hockey, it's a really big deal. It's not, it, the biggest deal would be if it was like a Connor McDavid year. Mm-hmm. Not that. It's not like Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid. There's only, those only come once every 10 or so years. But his name is Alexi Lafreniere. Um, he's from Quebec. And he is a really, really talented. A lot of times there'd be like, either there's a consensus number one, but he's not like heads and tails above the pack. Or there's like two that could be number one. He is a consensus number one team to be named later will pick him there is no doubt so that's part of the reason it's a big deal um but obviously the nhl was impacted by covid and so they did the playoffs a little different it was all based on points percentage and they didn't just want to partly for money reasons but also for fairness reasons they didn't just want to take the top 16 like they would in a normal playoff year because then teams who didn't know it was based on points percentage and it can work out where teams that had more or less games that can be the determining factor instead of like wins or losses or that kind of thing and so they ended up taking the top 24 teams and 24 is a little much the team the bottom two teams were not playoff teams the only reason they chose they did that is because they're Montreal and Chicago and that's a lot more money that the NHL were making and they're losing money this year. So they very much want to make more money. Um, But basically the top eight teams, four from each conference um, have buys into the playoffs. So this is not the playoffs. that's going to happen first. So the top eight teams automatically make the playoffs. The seven bottom teams in the NHL are automatically eliminated and therefore they have the top seven odds or had the top seven odds 
at the first, second, and third, which is where the lottery, the lottery only picks the first, second, and third, and then everything else is slotted based on record. Oh, see, I didn't know that. I it's had like no the, idea. The NBA does works. that too, because otherwise, yeah. like Detroit had the very worst record, and theoretically, they should never fall to like 15th if they did a straight lottery all the way through, but it's possible that they could, and they don't want that. Got it. So that's why they do that that way. But then, um, so that only makes seven of the normal lottery slots. And so in the playoffs, the 16 teams out of the 24 that didn't make those top eight spots um, play each other like two, eight, eight series uh, to determine who the other eight teams that make the playoffs. So obviously eight of those 16 teams aren't going to make the playoffs. And to help, fix that and the reason they need to fix that my penguins are a great example B- before the season ended uh, a lot of models and stuff had them at a 99 percent chance to make the playoffs they're playing the montreal canadians who when the season ended had a one percent chance of making the playoffs <laughs> it's a three-game series anything can happen if yeah. the penguins lose that feels horrible because then they didn't make the playoffs when really they they made the playoffs essentially right. like they said and so it's like hey as a bone to the eight teams that didn't make the playoffs some of them might have got screwed out of a spot here's some lottery odds and so basically the bottom eight spots so they're the eight worst odds are went to placeholder teams. And the reason it was placeholder teams is because if you if it was like, hey, the team that finished this or the team that finished this, teams could like deduce and then like the teams that would set in the spot that got ended up getting the number one pick, they could just tank the playoffs. Right. And just to like guarantee themselves a pick. And so they didn't want that. So it's just placeholder teams. So collectively, the eight teams that were eliminated had the second highest uh, odds of getting a lottery pick. The first was Ottawa because Ottawa finished second last. So they had the second best on their own. But then they also owned San Jose's pick who had the third, finished third to last. So they had the second and third best odds which combined gave them the best odds. Um, And so what ended up happening, Ottawa got, did win a lottery spot. They won the third pick. LA jumped a decent, but not a ton, and got the second pick. And then of course the third overall pick went to Team E, which is, they had a 2.5, that particular pick had a 2.5% chance of winning. So that's pretty amazing. And so how it works now is the eight teams that are eliminated uh, each will be given equal odds at that pick. And so it's 12.5% per team. And so here's an interesting thought, though, because I talked about Montreal, another team that was, as, that was like one of the last to make it is Chicago. Chicago sold at the trade deadline. They gave up Robin Leonard, who was like a really elite, he was a Vesna finalist last year, goalie, to Vegas to, like, to recoup assets. So they're not in a position to really compete well. And they're playing Edmonton, who had a really fantastic season. So they don't really have great no, – no team has better than 12.5. Even the best team in the NHL, Boston, doesn't have better than 12.5% chance to, to win the Cup at this point. But especially the eight play, or the 16 playing teams, none of them have 12.5% chance to win 
the Stanley Cup. So all of them, it could theoretically make sense. But especially for teams like Montreal and Chicago, it could make a lot of sense. So it's like, hey, we have like no odds at winning the Stanley Cup, basically. It's, it's very fractional. Or we can tank and have 12.5% chance. And for Montreal, it could be appealing because he's from Quebec, and that really appeals to people who are Montreal fans. Um, but the players are never going to want to do that because players have too much pride and competitive spirit. So the, th- the only thing that I could see happening, and I could see this with Chicago and Montreal especially, but maybe other teams, is if there are players that are hurt but could go and would go in the normal playoff circumstance, might get held back like you could see someone out with a lower body injury that's just like they cramped one day (laughs) so that's that's kind of the rundown of how that all happened it's a little technical it's very confusing took me a minute to get my head around it but team to be named later we'll get Alexi Lafreniere and there were so many jokes about how they're gonna like the the jersey that he's gonna put on is just says NHL and but it could be really good for him because obviously he could get the like he could end up in Chicago or Montreal who aren't really in great especially Chicago is kind of on the downswing Mm -hmm. but a team like Pittsburgh who like I said had a 99% chance of making the playoffs is very much in win now mode could theoretically get eliminated and get him and then he's going to a team instead of a rebuilding team he's going to a team that's like right in their good years so who knows who knows what will happen it's there's a lot of intrigue and it did did make it fun it makes me happy that the MLB doesn't do any kind of lottery draft yeah see the MLB is so different because the NBA has to do that too Mm -hmm. because what was happening before there was a lottery Pittsburgh was definitely guilty of this when Mario Lemieux who is also a generational talent was the prize in that draft uh, Pittsburgh would call people up and if they played well they would send them down and then they would call (laughs) other people up like they were probably going to call the janitor up at some point and there's (laughs) there's a documentary about how epically they tanked oh my gosh and, like, there were – and sometimes even now teams tank hard. I remember one year Buffalo was tanking hard, and I forget if it was – who else was tanking? Ottawa or something like that. And Buffalo – it was a game in Buffalo against whatever that second tanking team, and the Buffalo fans cheered when the other team scored. Because <laughs> <laughs> they still want better odds, but at least it's not, like, guaranteed, so. Yeah. Um. So, along with the NHL news, MLB announced on Tuesday that they're coming back. Baseball's coming back. Um, I I wish that was real excitement in my voice, but, like, I honestly cannot imagine them getting out of the first week of practice. Um, Just literally, literally, okay, Tuesday they announced the season was coming back. 45 minutes later, three Rockies players – were announced that they came back positive for COVID. Like, it's, it's not, it's not going to happen because even before, literally, they announced the season coming back days after they closed down their spring training facilities in Florida and Arizona indefinitely because so many players were testing positive. Um, I think right before that, there were a few Phillies staff and players that um, tested positive. In fact, the one of the players that was um, announced tested positive for the Rockies um, 
it was oh my god I blanked on his name he he's an all-star player but he was like the first MLB player actually named to be tested positive for COVID and that's like kind of a big deal because he's an all-star player so it's like big names finally because MLB hadn't been releasing names Charlie Blackman yes thank you I could Google. see his I could see his face <laughs> And I was like, I know, I know the name. It's like on the tip of my tongue. But yeah, and he's the first MLB player that's been named, like a major player that's been named to come back positive. Um, but even after that, they went on to announce their plan for coming back. I have a long rundown. I'll try to go quickly. Um, all of the information I have is from Jason Stark with The Athletic. Um, he like broke it down. His was like the best I could find like all the information at once because it was kind of crazy. Um, from what I understand, players are supposed to report July 1st, I believe to their home field. Um, cause I think that's the only place they're allowed to practice. I don't think they're allowed to practice outside of home field. So like they couldn't obviously go to spring training fields or anything. Um, and I, from what I gathered, they're hoping the season to start like around July 24th-ish, which is weird because that would be before NBA even starts, and NBA has been way better at handling all this. Whatever, no one asked me. So they are doing a 60-game season, and they are doing – they it won't be a normal schedule, obviously, because this is literally 37% of a normal schedule. So whereas normally, like for the Rangers, they would play – Everyone in their division, they would play twice against everyone in the AL, um, a home and away series, and then a few times against NL. For this, they're doing 40 games against their division. So they'll play 10 games against each division team. And then the other 20 games will be against their NL counterparts. So they'll play the NL West. Now, my first thought was like, okay, they're going to break it down evenly games because there's five teams in each division so they'll play four games against each of the NL teams no they're going to do six games against the interleague rival which I don't know how it's going to work for everyone because like it's easy for like Mets Yankees Dodgers Angels Oakland San Francisco but like the Rangers don't have an interleague rival like if Houston was still NL obviously that would be the rival but like Houston's rival would be the Dodgers but they're going to play the Angels yeah. So, I yeah, mean, I'm trying to think. Would they even, like, throw them the Diamondbacks? I, I don't know, because I was like, okay, the Padres don't have, like, the Padres don't have a rival. Seattle doesn't have a rival. Like, it, do it doesn't really make sense, but I guess they're just going to make up a rival. Yeah, there are some, like, easy ones, and then there's some ones, because, like, Cubs, White Sox, I would think. Yeah. Coming yeah. from my Cubs brain. But then, like, who would the would I guess it would be St. Louis Royals, but are yeah. they really like that heated of rivals? See, that's what I'm like. Oh, they're like Tampa Bay, Miami. That's gonna be the worst series. <laughs> yeah, just cancel that one. Yeah. Well, anyone who Miami was playing that. Yeah. I mean, I don't really know who Boston's interleague rival would be, or like Toronto. I don't even know how Toronto's gonna play the season because they're in Canada and they have stricter restrictions. They have made exceptions. I can get into that with the NHL, but they're okay. Good. Canada's making different rules for that um but it, it just that I think it'd be smarter just to do the evenly split between um because at first I was like okay maybe the Rangers against San Francisco because 10 years ago they played in the World Series but San Francisco and Oakland are obviously the interleague rivals so I don't so, know what they're gonna do because they yeah. also haven't released an actual schedule 
Um, we just know the breakdown. So you so know the, it's going to be like Twitter dunking on, on the teams MLB decides are rivals. <laughs> for sure. Um, so it'll be six against your interleague rival and then three games against two of the other teams and two games against those re- the remaining two teams. So how they're deciding who gets the three-game series and who gets two-game series, no idea. Um, the East divisions have the easiest schedule because they're all in one time zone. They all stay in the East, no matter if it's NL or AL. The West has the worst schedule because the West divisions are spread out among three time zones because the Rangers and Astros are in the central and then you have the Rockies in mountain and then everyone else in the West. So that's going to be so fun. I can't wait to watch like 40 games West coast time. as you can tell, I'm not thrilled about this because A, I don't think it's actually going to happen, and B, it just seems dumb. Um, they changed a lot of rules. Um, there's going to be a universal DH. I don't really know how that's going to work for NL if they get to just use someone who would otherwise be on the bench, which would most likely be a pitcher. Or I don't know how they're going to do that yet um, or if they're going to I will say – from an NL perspective, like the Cubs, we always get told like, oh, you should trade Kyle Schwarber because he's not a great fielder. And yeah. NAL team would give up a bunch to have him as their DH. And so it's like, well, we have more than three outfielders. So we'll yeah. throw, we'll keep him out of the outfield and just make him our DH. That's what I would imagine like the Cubs. Yeah. Um, then they had made a new rule, um, I think right before spring training, that Position players pitching would be restricted to either a blowout game, which I think they were like with six runs after five innings or something like that, or only an extra innings. They've reversed that rule for this, and position players are now allowed to pitch whenever a It was a dumb rule to begin with. It was – I hated the rule because sometimes it's fun to watch a position player pitch. And half the time they're pitching in those scenarios anyway. It's just not like – why do you need to legislate it? Normally, they're putting themselves at a disadvantage. So Exactly. So they've reversed that rule for this season, and it's just whenever. So I personally, if they're going to play these 60 games, which I feel like this whole season would have an asterisk next to it anyway, let, just let position players pitch whenever they want. If they come out in, like, the third inning, they're like, hey, can I pitch? Just let them. Just let it be fun. Entertainment. Um. So then – This part is where I'm still a little confused because the roster size is different because, again, only 60 games. So I'm just going to read straight from what Jason Stark said because there was no way I would be able to explain it better. Um, So there will be a 60-player pool, so about half of whom will be part of a taxi squad assigned to alternate site not located at the team's home park because also this is because there's no minor league season so they need people there's not going to be oh let's just call up so-and-so because so-and-so is not feeling good today they have to have a certain that this is where the 60 player pool comes in um so teams will need to submit names of those 60 players well this is by today at 3 p.m so when you're listening we'll be past that part so we'll already know who but um Clubs can invite as many as all the 40-man – wait, all, as all the 60 of those players to their Major League Spring Training Camp, but players not on the 40-man roster also can be assigned to alternate spring training site. That's confusing because the 40-man so, is basically – Can I just say from yeah. my experience, because I was 
classmates in college with a lot of mm-hmm. baseball players and one of them explained to me something they do in college baseball mm-hmm. which is they have a full so like pitcher catcher and then all of the positions mm-hmm. fly on two separate flights when they're having an away trip because they fly uh-huh. commercial and so like things can get delayed and so they fly right. through through two different connecting and so it it would make sense to me that you would want like a whole roster obviously not your best players but a whole roster in a completely different location like I wouldn't even think they would have 60 at the training camp because then if if suddenly there's some kind of super spread moment at least you're still you still have 18. Right so the thing that's confusing to me is that I don't know if that 60 list includes like your everyday already on the major league team players because the 40-man roster is that's basically the people you can call up at any time and it includes your 25 men that are already on the team because if you have to if you want to call someone up who's not on that 40-man you have to release a player so I it's still all very confusing to me and part of me is not really caring that it's confusing because like I said, I don't think this season is going to happen. So part of me is like, I'll worry about it when we actually make it to the season. Um, But I I just also think like, given how compressed the season is, Mm -hmm. it's hard to think that any of those bottom 20, they're ever really going to want to call up unless like a bunch of people get COVID. Right. So, and in that case, they should be allowed. They shouldn't have to release people. They shouldn't have to right. release players who got COVID and all of that. Yeah. So, and I, thought, I think it shouldn't wouldn't come in like super. Confusing. Right. And my thought process is they're they're gonna get like three weeks essentially to practice before the season starts. So it's not like they're gonna go out and play and there's gonna be a ton of injuries. My thought is if anyone's going on the injured list, it's gonna be because of COVID. However, if there's that many people going on the IL because of COVID, I feel like they would just stop the season. So this is an interesting question because I know the MLB has specific days for the DL. There's like very fixed days of like the whatever day DL and mm-hmm. the whatever day DL. Yeah. The, the NHL basically has, there's normal injured reserve where they still count against your cap. But then if you play, if you lose more than 10 games, then they can go on long-term injured reserve. And the only requirement is they miss 10 games, but they could come back on game 11 if they wanted to. And, but mm-hmm. they could come back on game 50 if they wanted, like there's no restriction there. And also for the NHL salary cap does not apply in the playoffs. So none of this will be a concern, but are they like foregoing, are they going to have a good create a DL for COVID? So it's like 14 So I read that there's going to be a specific injured list for COVID, but I didn't see anywhere where it said like, it's going to be a two week. You have to be on that list for two weeks. You can't play because of quarantine. It just said there's going to be a separate IL for COVID. And I want to say like that wouldn't count against, like if someone got um, COVID, it wouldn't count against like your 40 man. Like if you had to call someone up, cause that's mm-hmm. like an emergency call up basically. But right. again, I feel like they haven't thought through. I have all these this. questions. I don't know baseball that well, but I have all these questions. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. So I'll try to answer them if I can. 
Um, also, roster size. So normally, last season and previous seasons, 25-man is who you have playing your games, bullpen, starting rotation, and then like three or four guys on the bench. This year, it was going to be a 26-man roster had it started like normal. Now they're going to do 30 um, on big league rosters for the first two weeks of the season. Then they'll go down to 28 on the 15th day of the season and then back and then down to 26 like normal um, two weeks after that. So I think they're doing that because it's like, okay, well, if we're going to test positive, it's going to be at the beginning of the season. So I guess have more people to back up. Although to me, I'm like, that's more people to infect, but they didn't ask me. Um, and the 26-man roster they were going to start this season was to make it um, so they limit the number of pitchers on the roster because there are a lot of teams that will have, like, a bajillion pitchers and, like, two people on their um, bench. So that's another rule reversal, but then they're <laughs> – it doesn't make sense to me, but that's the information I got. So then another thing is all the hitters will have to bring their own stuff, their own pine tar rags, the bat donuts, which is the thing you see on the bat when they're in the uh, warm-up or on-deck circle swinging it, um, any of their other equipment to and from the on-deck circle. So, like, everyone has to have their own stuff rather than usually it's the stuff that just stays on the on-deck circle and they use it as they come up. Um, this one I thought was funny is that they have to retrieve their own caps, gloves, and sunglasses from the dugout, um, at the end of an inning if they're on base or batting, which I think that's funny because usually you see either the bat boy or, like, other players come out with their stuff or they hand their stuff to the, uh, base coach. And so now they have to do their own things. They don't get serviced. Um, they also, all pitchers have to bring their own rosin bag, which is, you know, the stuff they for grip on their hands to the mound and use only their own baseball for bullpen sessions, which again, I was like, but the catcher has to touch it and throw it back. So whatever. Um, they also have a specific, they have like thousands of baseballs they're going to have at every uh, ballpark so that they can be clean, sanitized. They won't be reused for five days. Although they never really reuse baseballs. They like throw them out like after Okay, and I just thought of something. Are, are they eliminating or do they still do the thing where when a, a manager wants to take the player out, they hand the manager the ball who then hands it to the bullpen pitcher? Are they okay, still doing that? So that's a question I had because so obviously social distancing should be a thing, but you can't social distance if you're if the catcher is coming up to the pitcher to ask them questions or what what signs or what how are we going to pitch? If you have a runner on first, they're right next to the the first baseman and the base coach the catcher is literally right in front of the home plate ump like how are you gonna handle that the only thing I saw about social distancing is a player or manager will be fined if when arguing with an ump they come uh, closer than six feet so the umps are protected <laughs> yeah but only when yelling because also the umps are right there with the pitcher and the batter exactly. or the batter and the catcher, the catcher I mean. yeah and then also when you have like mound meetings, like when the pitching coach comes out, like you can't stand six feet away because then the, the batter is going to hear you. Like you're going to make everyone plug Gary. <laughs> also without crowd noise, yeah. you can hear things better. Also they, um, if you're curious about like, you know, dugouts are going to be full because people 
there's like more than 10 people down there. Um, if players aren't playing, um, or like staff members who aren't being in use, right, they'll be in the stands. Which um, is confusing because the Rangers ballpark is apparently going to have 50% capacity allowed. Don't know how that's going to work. That's another topic. Um, yeah. So, also, there will be a trade deadline in this short season. They're Early. doing trades? Yeah. So, normally, the trade deadline would be July 30. Is it July 31st? Now, my brain is gone. Yeah. I don't remember baseball anymore. It's usually July 31st. And last year, they had just a strict one deadline. Um, so this year, the trade deadline will be just 38 days after the start of the season. Also, no high fives allowed, no fist bumps, no hugs, no handshakes, no spitting. I have a question about this. I was reading it on our cheat <laughs> sheet, and I have a question. Because I totally get no high fives, no fist bumps, no hugs, no handshakes. Because the players aren't going to want to do that either. Right. Everyone's bought into the whole COVID thing, all of that. Yes. No spinning. What are they going to do if people spit? Are they, like, going to assess some penalty? Are they going to fine you? Like, what's going to happen? Because so, all of those other things, the players just aren't going to do. Right. The other thing, that spitting. So, my thought process was, like, okay, I, I understand no spitting, why you don't want that. But you're asking them to change so many habits that they already have so quickly. Like, I can just picture someone spitting me, like, oh, crap, I'm not supposed to do that. Because a few years ago, MLB tried to make the rule where batters had to stay in the batter's box. They could not exit that rectangle. The first month, everyone broke that rule because it's just a habit. A lot of them step out of the box, adjust their gloves, get back in the box. And a lot of them got warnings from MLB in a letter. By the end of the season, that rule was gone because no one abided by it. There wasn't a way to punish them. Like, why are you going to find someone? Because that's their habit. So I kind of feel like the same thing with this. I do remember in spring training before they closed everything down, they were going to not do like sunflower seeds in the dugout because apparently that's the only thing they spit or something. But I'm like, I've seen a lot of them just spit. That's the thing. So, like, I was understanding the no sunflower seeds, that would be a great way to cut it down, like, mm-hmm. get all of that. But just spitting, like, yeah. I was just sitting there, I'm like, are you going to be like, okay, and are you going to have cameras on every player and every, even in the dugout and be like, right. okay, you spit, that's not like $1,000. Like, yeah, it just I, seems like a hard rule to enforce. Yeah, I just feel like it'd be like the batter's boxing where they would send them warnings, oh, on this game, you spit in the grass, don't do that again. But it's like, like, I get why they don't want it, but also, like, how are you going to enforce it? And also, there's going to be a poor, like, minor league player who's just going to, like, do it out of habit. And then poor kid's probably going to be the one that gets fined. That's how that always works, too. It's like, yeah, Mm -hmm. we're not going to find Bryce Harper. We're going to (laughs) find random person who makes no money. So... That was a, yeah, there's a lot. As you can tell, I have a lot of questions. Oh, my God. And then they released, like, yesterday in a little, like, infographic all the steps they're going to take to keep players safe and whatever. And it it almost made it try to look so peppy. But I'm like, because uh, it was like they're going to take their temperatures twice a day, all that stuff. And I'm just like, y'all, you're you're doing too much but also not thinking enough. Yeah, you're doing things that aren't don't have any efficacy yes but also aren't thinking about things that would right um so that's like actually a thought I have for the NHL just random aside I was thinking about this because you know so 
Jamie Ben doesn't wear a visor <laughs> at all. Yeah. So, but then everyone else wears like the half shield. But in college, they wear the full shield, but it's like the cage style. Mm-hmm. But then in the NHL, if you have like, like we had a player break his jaw or something on mm-hmm. a, from a puck, they wear like, they call them a fishbowl. It's like a full yeah. clear thing. And part of me was like, well, could they just have every, and I know they would hate it. I know all <laughs> the players would hate it, but that would actually be very effective because what it does is then the air goes out the back. Yeah. And so it kind of directs it away from like the more contact so it seems like that could be I don't know for sure I'm obviously not a medical professional (laughs) but like if that would help reduce the like yeah contact couldn't that make sense but no one's even asked the question so I'm I'm thinking like I'm probably missing something but (laughs) do you remember the game we saw in October and Lindell had like the cage and then the next period he had the fishbowl and the next period he came back out in the cage and we're like uh he must not like the fishbowl because it, yeah doesn't it mess with like peripheral peripherals well, or whatever? so I know even the the half shield mm-hmm. like the reason people like Jamie Ben don't like it is because it will fog up a little bit gotcha. so I imagine the fishbowl would fog up even more but small price <laughs> it's a good question I'm it's sure someone has I to wanna, have thought of it I want to know the answer so yeah I'll do some <laughs> research into that um but our next topic we wanted to talk about actually came to us from Instagram. Kind of asked if anyone had ideas, and this was a great one. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, was the National Women's Soccer League Challenge Cup, um, and it's super exciting because this is the first American team sport league of any kind to return to action. So I, it was always like, who's going to be first? Who's going to be first? And I'm really excited that it's the National Women's Soccer League. Because um, the NHL, I know, was rushing, rushing, rushing to get back because it's like, we want to be the first because people are so desperate for sport. Like, mm-hmm. we could get people who would never watch NHL games to watch NHL games, and then we have new fans. Well, what better than the National Women's Soccer League to have that captive audience? Yeah. And then, like, build their fan base, especially, like, I thought about that with the World Cup and the momentum, especially since our men's team is absolute garbage mm-hmm. and our women's team is completely dominating. Seriously. If you go to the Wikipedia pages for the world cup, men and women, and look at the U S I think the best the men has ever have ever finished is the worst the U S have ever finished. They got like one third place like decades ago, the men's did. And that's the worst <laughs> the women have ever done. So, yeah. And so it's like, it's, it's, they like really have this captive audience. And then obviously this shouldn't be a reason it's like husband shouldn't matter I'm totally stipulating that this is bad but it does not hurt that two of their players are married to NFL players who are very active on social media and really good at promoting the game and like I saw JJ Watt whose wife now plays for Chicago um her name is Kelia Ohio I believe is how you pronounce her last name and he got upset because she got when she got traded from Houston to Chicago the article was like JJ Watt's wife and he's like she has a name she's one of the best like players like maybe use that like I, like she, she it has nothing to do with me yeah and so I really appreciated that but it is also good having people with social media following already bought in and then other people 
watching and tweeting. Mm -hmm. And so that I think that really does build momentum having this captive audience and some people with followers tweeting about it. And it did I did see it trended on Twitter quite a lot, which is good. Um a couple things to note though, it's obviously not perfect. Um the biggest thing that happened, there was gonna be a nine teams in this cup and now there are eight because the Orlando Pride had to completely withdraw the whole team because 10 players and staff tested positive. And so they in the league, I believe it was kind of like a mutual decision of like who else could possibly have it and maybe false negative testing and all of that kind of stuff. Like it's just too risky. No. So they are gone. But then also, and I, I really applaud the league for doing this. Um, they gave players the option to not participate and uh, punishment free. So no forfeits, no any kind of like, we're not going to force you. It's up to you. You have to make the decision that's right for you. And so Tobin Heath, Kristen Press, and Megan Rapino, all of those names should just sound familiar to you if you've watched any World Cup at all, because they are three of the very good American players who've been in, I think several, all of them have been in at least two World Cups that I remember. And so they're all pretty popular and they all opted out which I think it, I understand and this is the thing that I would worry about I get why the national players like well I'm already like someone like Megan Rapino. I feel like even not soccer fans I'm not exactly like a super soccer follower know that name mm -hmm. and even the other two I feel like everyone knows those names and so they're not risking anything professionally even at, like not like League, the league would punch them or anything right. there's no risk to notoriety but some of the players who maybe aren't national team players and stuff even if they were uncomfortable still might do it just because it's like when am I going to get an opportunity like this I can't blah 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 and so that would be a concern that I would have but obviously it's there's no perfect solution that's the thing that you come back to with all of this discussion there's no perfect solution but I am just happy that the National Women's Soccer League is really getting a lot of notoriety. And I mm -hmm. think it could potentially be a sport where women are, especially U.S. women, are in such a good place to, like, like to, in my opinion, there's no reason that this couldn't overtake Major League Soccer in a while. because Just because of how good our women are and how any, like, the one good American male player we have does not play in the MLS. Like, if you're really good, you do not play in the MLS. <laughs> they have to pay you a lot of money because there's the European leagues, there's the Premier League, and it's, like, mm -hmm. way better soccer, better money, better, more invested fans. So it's, like, this is such an opportunity, and so it, yeah, I was happy yeah. to see all of that. And I, th I think also with the players that aren't playing, but they're, like, well-known players that could also help because I know Megan I've seen her tweeting about it so like mm -hmm. she's still bringing attention to it and I think that I think looking at her tweets while watching the games would also be fun because she has like insider knowledge and it could be entertaining too and you learn so much more um and the other I, thing I just think about because this happened with that women's mm -hmm. hockey in the U.S. they reached an exclusive like TV rights or whatever with Twitch. Uh -huh. so they stream exclusively on Twitch and Twitch pays them for that. And I think for sports that maybe don't have the established long history, they're more really interested in new media and like trying different things and all that. And I'm especially thinking of, it still annoys me to this day, the NBA will 
this is good. The NBA lets anyone GIF their games and post it because it's like, that's free advertising. People yeah. who don't know anything about the NBA then know a little something. And the MLB will like get you off Twitter if you GIF them. And, and it's like, you're yep. missing the point. You're so missing the point. And so I think it, it's a real opportunity for these sports to, and I love how innovative these sports can be. Yeah. Um, so my next topic was originally going to be my rant at the end of this, but there was too much to make it a rant, so I just made it a topic. Um, my favorite team is garbage, and that's not the players or the managers or the coaches. It's the organization of, like, the owners, because it's really the owners that did this, and um, it's about the staff. Um, if I got all my information from Levi Weaver with The Athletic, if you follow any of the Rangers beat writers, if you follow Jeff Passan with the ESPN, you've probably seen this. Um, it came out Friday night, I think. It was like midnight on Friday, Saturday. Um, so the Rangers were the first MLB team to require their employees to return to work. Um, that was like, I think it was like two or three weeks ago, um, before a season was announced. So like there was nothing really for them to do at the ballpark, but yet they were required to come back. Um, and like at the time, the, the ballpark has been hosting graduations because they can spread out more. Um, but like, obviously no games were being played. So there's not like the people in the ticket office have much to do at work. So, and they had been working from home before. Um, they had several employees test positive for COVID-19. They sent an internal email. The Athletic got a hold of that email um, because ESPN had um, an employee that talked to them um, anonymously. Um, for and I'm a lot of this. I'm just reading straight from Levi's article. Uh, for roughly five weeks before the return to work decision, Rangers employees had been given the option to work from their offices at the newly constructed field, um, but it wasn't mandatory. However, June 10th, Rangers co-owner and co-chairman Ray Davis sent emails to employees saying that beginning Monday, June 15th, we will all be back at the offices together. Um, while reasonable accommodations for individuals who have medical conditions or who are working through childcare issues were allowed, nothing in the email specified that employees with high-risk family members would be granted an exception, and employees would have to make a request to their HR head. Um, so on Friday, there was a town hall-style Zoom meeting for the employees of the ballpark. Um, this is like the ticket office, the marketing, basically everyone you don't really think about working for a major league team or any sports team really. Um, it was hosted by the vice president of ballpark operations, Rob Matwick, and um, John Daniels, who's the general manager and president of baseball operations. Also the team doctor internist, Dr. David Hunter. Now this is where it gets infuriating. And per sources, um, Dr. Hunter said that they were more likely to become infected at home and bring the virus to the office than they were to catch it at the office. He also told, told employees that social distancing was not as important as wearing masks and preventing the spread of coronavirus. Now, that goes against everything the CDC has said. But um, also, okay, 
who the hell cares if they're in more risk of catching it at home and bringing it to the office? Because then they would infect people in the office. Right. Exactly. But also, it, like, it doesn't make sense. And why you would even say that is baffling. Because you're say, also saying this to people who were just told that several employees tested positive. What? Um, they said of note, Davis's June 10th email was sent just two days after Tarrant County. Um, that's where Arlington is in the Globe Life Park, where the Rangers are. Um, had its third highest single day number of positive COVID-19 tests since the onset of the pandemic at 219. So in the days since Davis's email, the number has been surpassed seven times. On Thursday, this was before all this information came out, um, Tarrant County set a record with 517 positive tests in one day. As of Friday, the county has 10,363 positive deaths and 208 positive tests and 300, 218 deaths. Tarrant County also, I think it was Friday as well, um, mandated that you have to wear masks at um, any businesses. So <laughs> it's infuriating. I know people who work at the ballpark and they were very rightly so upset with A, what the doctor told them uh, and that was clearly wrong and easy to disprove. Um, but also, and MLB hasn't addressed it either. You should be able to stay home Maybe you yourself is not, are not high risk, but the people you live with are. Like, you going into work, you could potentially bring it to them. You could be asymptomatic, not know you have it, and give it to your high risk family, friends. And MLB itself hasn't even said if players don't want to play. Like, they, there's no – they haven't come up with anything about if, if Max Scherzer didn't want to play because – maybe he has family that's high risk or he himself is high risk. Like they haven't said anything about what they would do for that. So then to see a team, because I remember very vividly when it was like the Rangers were the only team requiring staff to come back when all other teams were still working from home. And I was like, oh, that's a bad look. Made even worse by the fact that you have a doctor saying, you're more likely to get it at home and bring it to the office than you are vice versa. Like, what are you doing well, and so this is the thing where it's like it's rare when the NHL is like actually more evolved than somebody yeah. on something, but the NHL and the M and the NBA, their big thing is like creating their own quarantine. So that's why the NHL is having two hub sites, one for the West and one for the East. And pretty everyone pretty much assumes Vegas is getting the West. Reason being is because there's nothing going on in Vegas right now, but they have all of these hotel rooms, which make for perfect quarantine spots because you can feed people in large groups and they're all like have all these living arrangements already pretty great mm -hmm. set up and they're going to have a set number of players all there. And it's like everyone who is involved in the operation on ice officials, not even just like referees, but like the Zamboni driver and all of that are quarantined they mm -hmm. like the food comes in they don't go out and all of that if baseball isn't doing that if baseball has all of these workers coming in then not like you you get the community spread where who even knows who gave it mm -hmm. to who 
And when you get that and you start getting, this is the whole flatten the curve thing that we've heard many times. The whole reason for that is like, not even just to control the number of people who get it, because at a certain point, there's like a, a large percentage of us are going to get it. Right. But it's when. Yeah. And if you contribute to a ton of people getting it at once, then there's going to be a lot of people who need hospital and there won't be the beds. And that's what happened in Italy, where you saw that, that like horrible, but they had no other choice. The yeah. will go around of like, here's how you pick who gets the vents and who doesn't. Yeah. And we don't want that. Because it, yeah. it, not only is that obviously most important, really horrible for the people who died who should have been able to live if they had a vent, but then think of the doctors who's like, and nurses and just anyone in the hospital whose life you're messing up because they see people that they should be able to help, but they can't yeah. because they don't. And so they're going to like, you're just screwing up so many people, so many families, all of this for no good reason. So yeah. unless I, I get why return to sports is a good idea, but I think there are ways to do that that make sense. And what I'm seeing right now, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. And the other thing I, I get, they wanted to use the team doctor or whatever for the meeting, but the Rangers manager, his wife is an emergency department RN who is working in the ICU COVID unit. Why not have her discuss anything? Mm -hmm. Because I follow her on Instagram and she did a whole story about like what she's seeing the worst of the worst because she's in the ICU. Um, so obviously she's seeing the worst of the worst COVID patients. But it's just, like part of me knowing that she's there, I'm like, okay, good. At least the manager can pass on information to the players and they'll be well informed. But then at the same time, I'm like, okay, if that doctor just told the entire Rangers employees like false information basically what is he telling players and like the team and stuff like it it makes it doesn't make any sense first of all and it, it's just mind-boggling like how well it, every every league has hired at a league level yeah like an infectious disease specialist but infectious disease specialists in every major city there's some of them could you not pay them a speaking fee to give the because then they have some air of credibility yeah. sorry internist doesn't really have yeah and the other thing is is like texas is a real hot spot right now for covid we're spiking and dangerously so that's also why i'm like baseball coming back doesn't work right now especially for the west divisions because the Rangers will play in Texas, which means they're playing in Arlington, where I just said the numbers were spiking. They'll play in Houston, who is also spiking. They'll play in Arizona, who is also spiking. So Colorado. Because I thought the original plan forever ago was like to have two places for the one for the AL, one for the NL. Yeah. And if we remember back to like when spring training was still happening, they're like, oh, we'll just have everyone play in Arizona. That'll be great. They literally just closed their Arizona spring training facilities last week but literally two days before announcing the season I, I just nothing is thought through logically and that's why I'm like afraid for all these players to show up to their uh home fields and like you you've well, just having fans. I read that Rangers could have up to 50 percent capacity see okay here and here's why I, I've, I've had this conversation 
with my dad a lot. Mm -hmm. You have to, you can't look at sports as like the loosening of restrictions on restaurants. Mm -hmm. How does a restaurant work? I come in at five. I have my dinner for an hour with my family. I'm done at maybe like six o'clock. You come in at 5.30 with your family, and then you leave at 6.30. And so we're all coming in and going out mm -hmm. at different times. So it can be at 50% capacity, and there's no real any, like, you can reasonably maintain social distance. Mm -hmm. So in a, in a game, the coming in, you're all going to be coming in, but then the going out, there's no way to prevent those giant funnels that we all see when games right. end where everyone's packed in. Right. And my other thinking was like, okay, let's say they're going to check everyone's temperature as they come into the ballpark. What if I come in, I have a fever, you're standing right behind me, You've, I've already been in contact with you. Yeah, like it doesn't, and there's lines every, like I remember yeah. when I went to a Cubs game in Milwaukee and there was a line for the security thing mm -hmm. that was like outside the stadium, so... Mm -hmm. Where and you can try to do the six feet thing, but are people gonna follow that? No, no, so it's like, and the 50% capacity, from my understanding, is for outdoor venues. Which, if the roof is open, I guess technically is outdoors, but also the roof was created for 100 degree weather, which will be in July and August to be closed, so therefore it becomes indoor. And then, specifically, are concourses considered indoor or outdoor? What does yeah, that mean? But this, it's like no other sports league is even contemplating no. having fans. So what, I don't get why the MLB would even... And my thought process is the people that are going to go to games, if they allow fans, I don't imagine they're wearing masks because I feel like if you're hesitant to go to games, you would just stay home and watch it anyway. Um, not saying that like... You can totally go to games if you feel comfortable going to games, and you, I recommend wearing a mask if you're going to go, but it just seems like I would think that people are like, yeah, let's go to a baseball game, are not going to be the people that social distance, that wear masks, that really care about other people's mm -hmm. well-being, because also when you think about that, 50% capacity, let's say they feel that, that would mean someone sitting in every other seat, theoretically. So that's not six feet apart, and you have someone behind you, they cough on you. This is the other thing to, to bring up of the difference between the restaurant comparison. So do you go to a restaurant, and the tables are all right next to each other, like a normal restaurant, not during a pandemic, and the tables are all right next to each other, and you're practically sitting on top of the table next to you? Or do you go to a restaurant, and there's already space built in? And so when there's 50% capacity, it's like we're giving them even more space. Well... In an MLB, in any stadium, you're basically on top of the people on either yeah. side of you. And yeah. so if you have 50, like you need almost like, well, I don't even think, I just don't think you should have fans. But even yeah. if you're trying to make it comparable to a restaurant, it would need to be like 25 or 30. Yeah, because you would have to skip every other row and then every two seats to make it possibly work. Well, and you have the whole, like, engineering thing of, like, people and families can sit together, but people not yes. in families. And they do that figuring out for, like, I've seen graduation ceremonies are starting to happen, mm -hmm. and they, like, have the different families, and they, like, set it all out so it makes sense. But, okay, you can reasonably have a family of eight going to a baseball game and a couple or a single person. Mm -hmm. How are you going to organize this, like, whole thing 
So yeah. it's all the social distance. Well, because the other thing too is, so you're going to have to, if you're doing every other, it would be like one, but then the person behind couldn't be directly behind. It would have right. to be, and it's like this whole chaotic just don't do it. I don't yeah. Like, yeah. That's where I'm at. Just don't do yeah. it. Just don't do it. Because then also I'm thinking, okay, so Texas just reclosed all bars. Um, I think restaurants are at 25 or 50% capacity because I don't think they closed all of them. So I'm like, how does that work at ballparks? Because you know how like stadiums that have like bars essentially, like they have like enclosed restaurants too outside of the concourses. Like how does that work? long story short just don't do it we're, we're both like this doesn't make any sense I think we've thought about it longer than anyone else <laughs> that's in charge um so I, the other thing you want to talk about with NASCAR and I'm gonna let you take the lead on that yeah so I am not a NASCAR follower neither of us are um but I've seen a lot about it in the last few weeks and I feel like I want to become a NASCAR fan because I feel like they're a sport that's like really handling Black Lives Matter so well, better than I ever expected considering NASCAR does not, it's a very white sport, let's be honest. They literally have one black driver in like their three premier, out of their like top leagues or however that works. I'm sure I'm using the wrong terminology, but I'm learning here. Um, They were like one of the first like organizations that said like put out their black lives matter statement they very quickly banned confederate flags from their events or anything within their do they play in stadiums what i don't know what the they're like is speedways called. yeah there we go um and i just like i kept it pop up on my twitter feed every once in a while and i just like felt so proud of them um because I mean, when I think of NASCAR, I don't really think of a progressive sport at all. Um, but they have, like, very quickly shown that they are very progressive. Um, so uh, Bubba Wallace is the black driver. Um, he had Black Lives Matter on one of his cars, which was really cool. He wore, a, I think it was, it was, like, one of the first races after the big, like, week of protests. And he had a I Can't Breathe shirt on, um, Black Lives Matter. Um, and another another thing I noticed is, like, every racer and their team or I don't, again, I don't know what terminology for NASCAR is. Um, they all wear masks, which I'm, like, every time I see someone wear a mask, like, I'm just, I'm so proud of them. Like, it's such a dumb thing to be proud of, but, like, the amount of people who don't wear them, um, when I see someone wearing it, I just, like, I just feel so much pride for them. I'm like, yes, you're doing good for yourself and everybody. Um, but recently, which I'm sure a lot of people have heard, he found a noose in his stall, I think is what they Yeah, it's like it where, basically where your car parks yeah. for that race. And not many people have access to that. So it's not like a place that people are coming and going, passing through. It's like his team has access to it, like NASCAR staff, but it's very limited. Um, so I think this, I want to say it was Sunday or Monday when it was found last week, and it there was a big outrage, obviously, because a noose was found in the only black racer's car stall. That's big, especially when you have, in the news, a lot of hangings lately. Um, so NASCAR 
did an investigation. The FBI um, came in to do their investigation. And it's weird to me. So every stall has like a pulley system, I guess, because it's like a garage, the door goes up, whatever. His stall was the only one that was fashioned into a noose. Like it's, it's mm -hmm. a noose. There is no, they've released the pictures. It's a noose. I've never seen anyone tie anything like that. Not for a noose. Everyone else has a pulley system and like, it's literally just a rope hanging or yeah. it's tied in a loop, which makes sense. Like it's not tied in a noose. It's legit a noose. Like there is no other way. Yeah. And they were saying in their investigation, it had been like that, tied like that since October, 2019. They actually, do, I don't know if you saw, they had a picture. Yes. And I'm like, okay, it's been tied like that for over six months and no one thought, hey, maybe it shouldn't be tied like this. Well, yeah, and beyond just, like, the racial implication, because, like, who knows if he ever had that style before or whatnot, but didn't it creep anyone out? Right? Right? Because, like, because they were, in the thing, they were, like, there was no reason to believe anyone would ever tie that knowing that he was going to have it. Like, he didn't even know he was going to have that style until, like, the day before he had it or something like that. But I'm, like, why was no one else creeped out by a noose? whether well, you're white or black it's tied in a news how is that not threatening or creepy or like that's yeah because I was thinking I, I worked in an internship in the summer in a help desk and it was for a power company mm -hmm. and they had a big ass flood and they had to relocate people to like this service center like I mm -hmm. like people business people and so we're setting up all this and our equipment kept getting stolen because people wanted double monitors and didn't think we'd take them back and all that. So we finally we were like, we need an office. And it was the creepiest thing ever because our office was like in the back of the service thing. And I had to walk under this like, like dimly lit thing with like a giant metal hook right above me. And it creeped me out. Yeah. I was like, I would walk to the side. I was like hugging the wall. Like, and so I'm just like, how did no one, am I the only one who would be weirded out by that? Right. Because, okay, so on, I'm looking at The Athletic, their um, article about all of this, and it says the U.S. Attorney's Office and FBI informed NASCAR its investigation conclusively found that the incident was not a hate crime. Um, and quote, although the noose is now known to have been in garage number four in 2019, nobody could have known Mr. Wallace would be assigned to garage number four last week. Which, okay, so it's not directly a hate crime, but why was it there? No one went into stall four since October 2019 and was like, that's a weird way to hang a rope in a pool yeah, system. Yeah, it's like a terrible oversight. Yeah, because also, I've never made a noose, never planned to. They don't look like they're that easy, just based on the picture. It doesn't look like that's like a common knot people do or like an easy one to do. Like, in my mind, I'm like, wouldn't it just be easier to tie one knot into a loop and then that's your pulley system? I want to know who did that and why. Because yeah. it's a weird pulley system. And sure, you never anticipated the one black racer to have that stall and have that pulley system. But did you want to creep out anyone? Everyone should be creeped out by a Yeah, it's like, so who cares who was going to be there in there? Did you want to creep them out? Right? It, it's just baffling to me. And I saw a lot of people when it came out that it wasn't a hate crime. It had been there since October. Like, the 
the gross people were like, see, it wasn't a hate crime. No, 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 He shouldn't. It, NASCAR made a whole big deal about this before it's even. I'm like, you should make a big deal about it. If you see a news tide, whether it's a direct hate crime or not, you should be creeped out by it. It should be investigated. And Bubba was totally right in making an outrage about yeah. it and being creeped out by it and feeling threatened by it. Well, and that's, so this happened in hockey a little while ago. Last year, I think, Morgan Riley, they thought he said a gay slur during the game, and Mm -hmm. he didn't, and they did an investigation, Mm -hmm. and they had an explanation that made perfect sense, and Morgan Riley also, to his credit, before all of this happened, Marsha Pride was, like, very, like, he had already walked the walk long before this was even a thing, but then they were talking to him and the general manager after it happened, and this is not even like like he was personally affected whereas the news thing no one on the other side like it was just Bubba like there was no other person who was accused or anything right so but Morgan was like yeah it's not about me like I'm glad they investigated and figured out it wasn't me but like people have that word used against them every day yeah and that's who this is about and that's the right answer to this it's like okay so this one time wasn't but Right. Why, why was it, why did he take it so personally? Because it is routinely used. Yeah. Yeah. And especially nowadays, you would think that was a threat mm-hmm. upon seeing that. Yeah, totally. It should, it, it, I think it would feel like a threat no matter what circumstances, but especially now. Yeah, totally. Especially so. since he's been so outspoken and there was some NASCAR fans who were outraged by them putting Black Lives Matter and blah, blah, blah. But um, another thing also with that was right after he, uh, before the investigation was finished and right after he shared what he found, um, they, and it makes me want to cry because he cried. They, um, I guess at the start of races, they push their cars to the front line. I don't know how it works. I'm not a NASCAR fan. But he was in his car and, like, literally every, um, I almost said player, racer and, like, their uh, teams, like, walked behind him as he drove his car to the front of the race. And it was just so emotional because, like, it was directly supporting him. Mm-hmm. And I think on, the like, the grass of the Speedway, they NASCAR had wrote, I stand with Bubba or something along those lines. And I just, I, I always love moments when you see a group support one person who was feeling threatened. And they even had, like, one of their, like, I want to say all-star, but again, I don't know if that's correct. Like, terminology. Yeah, like, one of their well-known racers. He was there and, like, obviously wasn't racing. He's, like, retired or whatever. But just that show of support, even Bubba was, like, emotional about it. And I just thought that was a really cool thing to also acknowledge. So I think we should move on to the very last topic we have, (laughs) and we're changing the question a little bit. Katie on Instagram sent this to us, and I'm just adding, amending a little bit. She said, will the World Series matter because it will be played under different circumstances? And we definitely have the same question about the NHL. So I'll let you take MLB first, and then I'll give my top takes on NHL. So again, I don't even think we're going to get to playoffs, but should we? I don't think – I don't really think this whole season – will matter in the context of other seasons because 60 games not that many um (laughs) in the context of a normal baseball season is 162 games 
theoretically, literally anyone could end up in the playoffs for MLB. Um, any, the, the Marlins could get hot. Yeah, and I mean, think about last year. The Nationals won. I They had a losing record their first, like, they lost like 20 games in a row or something crazy like that. Had their season last year been 60, 60 games, they would not have even touched the playoffs. So in that context, I don't think it'll matter. It should definitely have an asterisk. Obviously, I'm not a player, but if I made it to the World Series and won, I don't think it would feel as gratifying as winning it in a full season. It kind of just feels like, well, anyone could win it. I mean, I would be happy as a player to win the World Series no matter what, but I think it, I think everyone in their mind would be like, it has an asterisk next to it. It's a, it, it, it just doesn't feel complete, I would think. So I believe most teams in the NHL were at the 59-60 game mark. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, they're doing something super hokey with the 24 teams and all of that. <laughs> I still think it will matter. Mm-hmm. And obviously, because NHL season is 82 games. Yeah. So we had played a significant portion of that. So, like, Detroit had already mathematically been eliminated. So, yeah. like, I, I feel like it's enough that it will matter. And we have evidence that it will. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about the 2012, 2013 NHL season where there was a lockout it's hilarious that we call it the 2012-2013 NHL season because that's what it was supposed to be but there was a lockout and the first game wasn't played until January 19th of 2013 so basically the 2013 NHL season Mm -hmm. Um, and that season they only had 48 regular season games so less than any team had this year, significantly less. And the Blackhawks won. And when people talk about the Blackhawks dynasty, they talk about them winning in 2010, 2013, and 2015. It's a whole different dynasty if they won in 2010 and 2015. <laughs> so I think in the NHL perspective, it still will matter. Mm-hmm. Now, I, with the caveat that if, like, the Blackhawks – or the Montreal Canadiens, or like a couple of those teams that really had no business making the playoffs. If they win, that might always be a part of the history. But if like, well, if any of the eight teams that auto-qualified win, and even if any of the other teams that were like already in a position or close to it, like right at the end, like I think even Carolina, who maybe if by points percentage would have been like one of the first teams eliminated, but like was right there. If they win, if something like that, I feel I feel like people would still really get that credit because it's like you had a good enough season where if it had played out, you you probably you had a really good shot of making the playoffs, and then you played in the format and won. So, so I th- I think one interesting thing about it. So let's say MLB does play their sixty game season, they make it to playoffs. It'll be to me. I'm curious because. So they never started their season this year. This They would start their season, quote-unquote normally, go into playoffs, World Series. Whereas, like, hockey, like you said, they played most of their season. But then again, they had the NBA. Yeah. But then they had, like, the five months off. So I'm interested to see what teams look like should they come back. Yeah. Because are they still going to be in the same shape? 
that's, have the same and so this is a, an issue they ran into and so they've done they have these phases and I for the life of me don't know which what number <laughs> corresponds to what I believe we're in phase two right now which is like the facility is open and in the beginning it was like super small groups were allowed mm -hmm. to to practice so they're on the ice now because for a while a lot of players some players could, but a lot of players didn't have access to ice where they were located in the quarantine. And so it's like, well, they need to skate because we can't mm -hmm. just throw people out who've never skated. Right. And you think about any NHL season, there's a training camp. And so they're going to do a mini training camp that I believe is a couple weeks. I think that's what they're calling phase three. Right now they're in like phase two and a half because they had the small groups and then they recently upped the groups a little bit. But the interesting thing is to so like for my penguins, Jay Gensel on December 30th, 30th or 31st, I believe they never confirmed, but it sounded like he tore his rotator cuff and he needed shoulder surgery that would put him out for four to six months. So at best, it was like the very end of April or like May, it would be essentially be May. And at worst it was, so he was looking at coming in in like the very end of the playoffs if they even made it that far. Well, look at where we are now. He passed the end of like the recovery time and he's on the ice skating and all of that. And he's not the only one. A lot of players who had injuries that would either keep them completely out of the playoffs or put them later in the playoffs are now fully recovered. Yeah. And that nor that's never a, a reality in the playoffs. Well, that's also interesting because in at the very beginning of spring training, one of the Rangers player, Willie Calhoun, um, got hit um, in the jaw. And he was expected to miss a large chunk at the beginning of the season. Well, now we're at the point where it had the season been played, this would be about the time we would start talking about, well, maybe he's going to start his uh, – uh, minor try playing in the minor leagues a little bit come back up and then be in the majors so it's interesting how that kind of helped some teams and some players um there's a question what are they going to do for conditioning stints that I guess they play with the taxi squads again I want to know why they called it taxi squads I feel like I'm missing something on that but that's a good question too because they wouldn't have their like oh they're gonna go play in Frisco for a few games to kind of like up their stamina for games but um I'm kind of like I definitely if MLB had played 100 games this season I don't think the asterisk would be as applied as much to the World Series as it would be now like 60 games feels like absolutely nothing um but do you think NHL would put an asterisk just as far as like there was five months between the game played and playoffs I don't really think so because there was the same thing with the like way break. I, and I get yeah. it wasn't in between, but just with the way everything happened, I feel like if dad didn't have it, and we have a really good time frame because it's mm -hmm. seven years later. Yeah. And people always talk about the Blackhawks dynasty in that yeah. way. And they never mention, well, but you know, that one season was a lockout season. Like that's never a topic of conversation. Yeah. I, I, I do have the caveat of, like, if it's some of those, like, really hairy-edge teams, that could be a little bit of an interesting discussion, because yeah. it's not, like, in the context of a dynasty or, like, something like that, but if, like, Boston, Washington, going to start naming off all of the teams <laughs> that auto-qualified, um, but, like, St. Louis, Dallas, those kind of teams, if they win it, 
I don't, even if, even like, obviously Pittsburgh is in the context of more of a dynasty because they had the two back-to-back long, not long Mm -hmm. ago. St. Louis, it would be back-to-back. Washington, it would be every other. Like, so those would be like, quote-unquote, dynasty wins. But even a team like Boston, who hasn't won in since 2011, or like, but a team that had a good season, I still think it would fit with the story, and so it wouldn't be. That's at least what I think. Yeah. So, we want to do rant and rave? Yes. So, you got to go first. Okay. So, my rant was actually going to be a topic, but then I was like, no, I'm going to save it for the rant because it's a little shorter. Um, so, earlier this week, I know I've talked about The Athletic, like, throughout this whole episode as if I was sponsored. <laughs> Not sponsored. Don't work for them. Um, I pay a subscription just like everyone else. Um, Sean Shapiro wrote a article about Stephen Johns with the stars. It's a very good article. If you haven't read it, go read it. Um, talking about how he missed 22 games um, because of concussion-related headaches, where he just, like, it put him out. There were times where, like, he couldn't even get up, and he talked about being depressed during it and having anxiety. And then he even talked about at one point, because he, he had trouble sleeping, that at one point he would spend his nights, like, essentially writing suicide notes in his head, Um, because that's just how deeply it affected him. That's not my rant. My rant is the next day he went on DFW The Ticket, which is a local sports radio, very well known. Um, The stars tweeted about how he would be on there for an interview and everything. Um, They asked him a question that as a journalism major, I'll call myself a journalist because I got the degree, I would never think of asking someone, not even for just like writing in the article, unless, because like, think about it this way, Sean wrote that article taking three weeks, so he really got to know Steven, also he's known Steven from playing with the Stars, and he covers the Stars every game, so they have that rapport. The radio guys asked him, to talk about the suicide notes that he wrote in his head. And obviously, Steven, I listened to the audio because it was posted on Twitter. He, the way he sounded, first off, completely taken off guard, unexpected question. But also you could hear him almost reliving that emotional trauma by him. He got choked up. He was like, he even apologized. Sorry, I don't want to talk about that. And I am just baffled by, it's one thing to know that someone was suicidal. It is an entirely other thing to ask them about suicide notes that they've written and explain that. That's an emotional trauma. I feel like, sorry, I'm interrupting your rant. No, go. annoying me. I feel like how I would imagine Sean Shapiro did it and how when I've seen this topic discussed really well with this kind of topic as a journalist you have to let the person you're interviewing basically lead the interview and take it however far that they want and because you don't want to ask a question that causes them trauma so if he's really opening up well then you can ask expanding questions as he opens up right well how did that feel blah 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 but he has to go there first he has to be the one to lead it and there were a couple people I saw saying, well, he talked about it in the article. First of all, it's one thing to be 
on a, a, a live broadcast and asked about it not knowing that question is going to come up, it's another thing talking with a reporter over a span of three weeks who you've known for years, who respects you and you respect them back and knowing what the topic is going to be. And it's not like he even explained it in the article. He just mentioned part of my depression was I was suicidal. I wrote notes in my head. Nowhere in the thing was Sean like, here's what he was talking about in those notes he was writing in his head. Like, there's just such a difference between, and I'm not bashing radio broadcasters or TV broadcasters, but there's a difference between meeting someone 10 minutes ago and talking to them about topics live than doing a feature article over three weeks, texting, calling, FaceTime, email, getting information like that and being okay and building that rapport between the two people. Because also a lot of broadcasts, if they're going to ask a question like that, they tell them ahead of time. Like, hey, we want to talk about this, Is that especially in a touchy subject like this. Is that okay with you? Based on his reaction, he was never told that he was going to be asked about specifically the suicide notes. Because it is, like I said, it's one thing to be, to talk about, oh, I was suicidal during this. It's another thing to be like, yeah, and I was saying this in my head and this, this, and this. And I was basically saying goodbye to people I loved. I feel like even for the written component, because it's not live, Mm -hmm. I get most written journalists, the rule is like, if if the subject knows it's on the record, then you can print Mm -hmm. anything that's on the record. I feel like that rule gets a little bent in Mm -hmm. cases of mental health or like deeply personal subjects like this, Mm -hmm. where if he had said something that he didn't end up wanting printed because he felt it was a little too personal, I'm feeling like he could have told Sean like, hey... Can, we, can you just cut out this part? Like, I, yeah. I just, I'm not comfortable with that. And I feel like journalism ethics would tell you at that point, you probably should. Yeah. Because it's not like a breaking story where you're doing investigation right. or like you're interviewing somebody like the president or something and he said something on the record. Yeah. It's like, no. And the article itself wasn't specifically about mm-hmm. suicide notes. So that shouldn't have even been a question to ask. And if you're not someone who knows much about mental health or depression or being suicidal, don't ask questions like that. Just, just don't do it. If they want to talk about it, they will, but don't ask. It's, it's so emotionally traumatizing. Like you just, we turned it into a topic because we're both like, how dare you? This is so horrible. I I could not believe that the question was asked. I, <laughs> so I had to make it my rant because yeah, it, it's a worthy else, rant. Yeah, I had nothing else that could top that rant. So I have something kind of along similar lines, not mental health related, but similar kind of very personal thing mm-hmm. that I wanted to rant about. So Steve Simmons of the Toronto Sun, who famously, when the day after Phil Kessel was traded, wrote this article about how he went to a hot dog stand in Toronto every day and ordered a hot dog. And it was proven pretty instantly that that wouldn't be true because it would involve him like walking several miles every day for a hot dog. And then at that point, it's like, have the hot dog. You've already walked it all off. So, and so... People make fun of him for that already. He tweeted and said, 
that Austin Matthews tested positive for COVID-19. And then a bunch, like pretty much any reputable hockey writer wasn't posting that. Um, the Maple Leafs came out and said, like, we comply with the NHL uh, as far as releases and stuff like that. And then Steve Simmons asked, like, why is everyone so mad at me? Other people have done this. And it's like, no, dude, they haven't. They'll say, like when the whole Tampa thing came out, mm -hmm. they say, I have sources who tell me three players tested positive. Yeah. Well, did they name drop? No, they didn't. Like, come on. Like, he even could have said a Toronto Maple Leaf yeah. in Arizona. <laughs> and I mean, it would narrow it down to two, but yeah. you wouldn't know which one. And because Frederick Anderson was living with Austin. But it's like, when you name a player, like their patient privacy is such a thing. And I get like Canada has different laws, but I mean, it's still a thing in Canada and it's yeah. like very common thing to respect the medical privacy of a person. So that was my rant. <laughs> oh goodness. But I think um, calling Steve Simmons a journalist is a bit of a stretch. Yeah. Sounds like it. Um, my my rave is always it's always so hard to come up with a rave because I feel like I know it and then we sit down and record and all I can think about is my rant. Um, so I don't really know what my rave is. Can I go is. first? I have yes, my rave. Please go. Steve Dangle. <laughs> yes. Baby Leo is okay. So we didn't even know, and it, it it was so sweet. If you we love Steve Dangle, both of us. Mm -hmm. and he has a YouTube channel, and you should go there because he has a video titled First Overall Pick, and it's about his son who was born, and he had kept it a secret from, like, the public. A lot of his, like, coworkers and stuff knew, but the public did not know, and um, that was because they decided that they wanted to try having a kid in uh, when they, the Leafs won the first pick, which is Austin Matthews, which they won in the summer of 2016. So, obviously, it's been a trial for him and his wife and they're just like yep don't need this in the public until baby leo arrived and he's so adorable and it was just so sweet to hear steve talk about it and then he talked about it on the podcast and it was just absolutely precious and okay steve got a joke in in the video that i died laughing because he was talking about that they like saw they had the 12-week ultrasound uh, when it was the Leafs had this crazy 8-6 game called the Next Generation game, mm -hmm. interestingly enough. And Steve, they had friends over, like, partly to tell them the news and stuff, and there were all these little kids, and it was late at night, and so Steve's like, I'm sitting there, like, wanting to scream, and then having to contain myself, because there's all these kids around, and he's like, oh, God, how am I going to be a dad? <laughs> and then he does an imitation of his wife, he's like, yeah, my wife's going to go to her friends, yeah, he was up screaming all last night, and their friends would be like, oh, yeah, well, they do that, and she would go, I'm talking about my husband! <laughs> So I love Steve, and I'm just so happy for him and Mrs. Dangle, so that's my rave. What's funny is, I, I follow him on Twitter, and so I had been, like, scrolling, and I saw his new, he had posted a new video, and I saw the name of it, and I was like, eh, not really, I don't think I want to listen to hockey right now, I'm not, because yeah, I assumed it was going to be about, like, the draft or something, because it, it, I think, what is it called, like, first draft pick or something? First overall pick. Yeah. And I was like, mm, I'm not in the mood to like 
comprehend draft stuff right now. And so I had scrolled past it. And then you text, because I texted you, I have my rant for this week. And you were like, I have my rave. And you sent me the video. And I was like, okay, well, I have to watch it because Laura sent it to me. And he started it by saying, he said something and I was like, oh my gosh, she's going to announce that his wife's pregnant. And then when he like bent down, because he was like, it's not a pregnancy announcement. And I was like, oh, he's picking up a puppy. That's what's going to happen right now. And then immediately it's like, no, but they already have. I was freaking out. (laughs) It was so cute and so unexpected. And I will say, okay, in the video, um, in the the first overall pick video, the baby does kind of look a little like a doll because it's sleeping and swaddles so tightly. He has, he brings him on the podcast and you see it on the video on YouTube and the baby is actually like awake and moving and stuff. So if you want like the really cute go to watch the beginning of the podcast um my rave I I remembered what I thought about um earlier because sometimes I try to pick my rave earlier in the week hoping I'll remember it It doesn't always work it's kind of more of a ramble rave um but I so weirdly enough I have always been fascinated about learning about World War II which is probably why I like uh which one is it in the Adam's history corner yes I I live for that history corner. I want him to have just his own history podcast. Even if it's like five minute episodes, I'd listen mm-hmm. to it. Um, but I, there was <laughs> junior year of high school, I feel like was all we learned about was World War II. And I remember watching, we watched a documentary and I don't know why it just burned in my brain, but there was one documentary we watched where like you see a U.S. tank, and then all of a sudden, one of the soldiers walks over to it and pushes it, and it rolls over, and you realize it's an inflatable tank. And so for the long, and I had never heard anything else about that except for junior year. So it's always been in my brain, but I'm like, I don't remember what it was about. So me and my dad watch a lot of, like, World War II movies, like Dunkirk is, like, one of my favorite movies, Um, and then Midway, that just came out. And so I remember asking my dad, okay, tell me if I'm crazy, if this is just, like, a false memory I made up, but, like, was there ever a thing where, like, the U.S. had, like, inflatable tanks, and they weren't, he was like, yeah, that was, like, a, a big thing, and um, part of the European side of the war, and they did diversions and whatever, and I was like, okay, I felt so validated, I was like, hey, it's not a false memory, I didn't make it up, so then, literally, the day before my Wi-Fi went out, I was looking on my Kindle for, like, um, free books to read, because I was like, I need to get back in reading, and one came up called The Ghost Army of World War II. I was like, well, that sounds interesting. And in the title, it had like, it said like diversions, inflatable tanks, and everything. I was like, inflatable tanks, I have to read this. And so I'm not finished with it, but um, it's all about the division in the U.S. Army. Um, a lot of the the people in that weren't necessarily soldiers. They were like artists and camouflage experts and it's this whole thing of how um they would sneak into the other divisions camp so they could leave and then they would play like audio recording so it sounded like that that division was still there while they were sneaking up on like the german armies and everything and it's about their whole diversion tactics and i totally nerded out about it and if you nerd about out about that stuff too. Highly recommend. I'm not finished, but it's very interesting to read about because it, it almost sounds like a conspiracy theory, but it's real. So I was just gonna say as a recommendation from me, 
not like an individual recommendation, <laughs> but I've noticed, and I've done this too, a lot of us are like learning stuff over quarantine with all mm-hmm. the extra time we have at night, not being able to do anything. Yeah. And so it's like, obviously books and all of that, but mm-hmm. I get that not everyone likes to read and it's like, it, it doesn't always feel fun. So even yeah. if you, if you like, if you want to read like interesting books, definitely like the free section is great for that. Mm-hmm. But then, or like your library, a lot of times will have yeah, ebooks you can rent. Yeah. Um, but even beyond that, like, trust me, I get binging is a thing on Netflix and stuff like that. I'm like, I started this like a month ago and I'm about almost nine seasons into Grey's Anatomy that I've already watched <laughs> a billion times. But something I have done is when I feel like it, I'll go and I'll just type in in, in Netflix documentaries and mm-hmm. I go and look through. And so like I watched one about, it was from the 80s and it was about Hitler's career. Oh. And it was really fascinating because you learn like kind of what shaped him and how he gained his mm-hmm. power and like the context of everything, which I think is really helpful because it's not just like, okay, Hitler was horrible. Like that's right. obviously like the main point, but how it happened was like how people ceded power to him, Germans ceded power to mm-hmm. him. And like hearing all of that, it was really fascinating. Yeah. I'm gonna. I always. I'm always looking on Netflix for like World War II documentaries. I'm gonna have to look at that one. I'll I'll send you the one when I like. I'll go upstairs and find it. I'll text (laughs) it to you. But yeah. So like Hulu, Netflix, stuff like that. If you find Mm -hmm. documentaries or just like series or stuff like that, it's great to mix in some educational stuff. Yeah. So with that, I think next week, unless something changes, either our internet or some personal thing happens, <laughs> or if something big happens, we'll, we might cover that. But otherwise, we're planning on women in sports covering that, which is something we've always wanted to cover. So with that, I guess we will see you next week. Bye, guys.